bringing you the truth behind the news. Welcome to The New American. Welcome, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us. It's November 20th, and I'm Steve Bonta, filling in for my very able colleague, Paul Dragu, who's on vacation this week, but who will be back. So we've had a lot of interesting and even positive news for you today. Speaker of the House Mike Johnson is releasing almost all of the 44,000 hours of security camera footage showing what happened at the Capitol on January 6, 2021. And President Biden is now invoking wartime emergency powers to ram his radical environmentalist agenda down America's collective throat. We have those stories coming up. But first, in stunning news from Argentina, Javier Milei, the fiery libertarian economist turned politician, has been elected president and on December 10th will become the first true libertarian in history to be elected a head of state. Over the last century, Argentina has declined from being one of the world's freest and most prosperous countries to one of the world's economic basket cases. The latest round of economic stagnation and high inflation has finally proven too much for Argentina's rising generation. And Millet was elected president over his Peronist rival Sergio Massa by a huge margin. In addition to being a champion of Austrian free market economics and the libertarian principle of non-aggression, Millet is also socially conservative, opposed to abortion and to sex education in public schools, among other things. He's also known for his articulate, take-no-prisoners style of debating and defending the principles of liberty. He is promising to restore Argentina to its place as one of the world's great havens of liberty and free enterprise. So just a little bit about, about Argentina, and on a personal note, I should say that I first learned Spanish as an exchange student in Argentina in high school more than 40 years ago. I have many friends there. I've traveled around the country extensively uh, as recently as last year. And it's a marvelous place in many ways with a culture and history that parallels our own American history. We'll be talking about it a little more detail in a later segment today. But for now, I want to bring in Gary Benoit, the editor of the New American magazine, to talk a little bit about what this might, well, what this means for Argentina, first of all, and what it might, we hope, fingers crossed, portend for the United States in not too many more months. I mean, Javier Millet, Gary, has been, as you doubtless are aware, has been compared to Donald Trump and also to uh, Bolsonaro, uh, who was president in Brazil during, during, more or less during the time that Trump was president. He seems to be the latest in a significant worldwide trend, particularly in Europe, of these sorts of populist and what, what we might loosely call um, right-wing leaders uh, like Maloney in Italy and, and Orban in Hungary being elected to power that maybe portend a greater global shift back toward the right. And by the right, I would hasten to add, we mean people who are more oriented toward traditional Christian culture, traditional values, as, as, as they're sometimes styled, and also back away, you know, away from this suffocating socialism that's been all the vogue for several generations now in the West and has led to just enormous, you know, gargantuan government in Europe, in North America, certainly in Latin America, and a corresponding constriction of personal liberties. And so we've seen in the last few years a succession of leaders rise up who have said, no, you know, enough is enough. Let's stop. Of course, they have been routinely denounced as being neo-fascists and all the rest of this. Millet is no exception. He's been traduced in the Western media, particularly once they became aware of him. 
But now, or at least in a, in a couple of weeks, he's going to be president of one of the world's most important countries. Argentina has a long tradition of limited government, at least on paper. Like the United States, it's historically been a melting pot, a very attractive country for European immigration from many different countries, not just Spain, and uh, has an extraordinary talent base and many great geographical advantages. So there's no reason that Argentina can't become uh, the great power that it once was, and which Malay is promising to reinstate. Except that for generations, Argentina's labored under the Argentine version of socialism, which they call uh, Peronism. So what do you think about Malay, Gary? What do you think are Argentina's prospects? And is it going to have an effect on the United States? Well, first of all, Steve, as you uh, referenced earlier, you're much more familiar with Argentina than I am. You, you live there. You uh, speak uh, Spanish fluently. And in fact, you were there not too long ago, I think about a year or so ago, is uh, uh, things were, were getting exciting regarding the Malay campaign and saw the enthusiasm of, of the people. But uh, I, I know uh, before doing this program, Steve, uh, we were talking about this and, uh, the, you know, the feeling uh, prior to uh, this, this tremendous vote yesterday uh, was that, well, gee, could this really happen? Would the, would the uh, global elites really allow Malay to become president of Argentina. We had our doubts. We, we had our doubts. And, and the fact that this happened uh, shows that the, uh, the global elites are not uh, invincible. It shows that it is possible to get the word out. It is possible for people to uh, take back their, their government once again. And so my first thought, uh, uh, looking at what happened in Argentina, is if it can happen in Argentina, surely it can happen in the United States as well. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm pointing at something that, that to me is very interesting. And I think here you are perhaps more qualified than me. Mm-hmm. And that is the fact, of course, that Argentina is a predominantly Catholic country. The Pope yes. himself, of course, mm-hmm. is currently Catholic. You are Catholic. I am not. So you have a better understanding. I would like to point out, though, that it seems to me that the that, that greater part for the last several centuries of the movement towards you know, individual liberty and so forth— seems to have taken place in the Protestant world, in Holland and the UK and then in the United States, to a much lesser degree in Catholic France, which mm-hmm. ultimately repudiated Catholicism in the French Revolution and went down a different road. Spain, during the Siglo de Oro, did have an interesting sort of birth of free market economics, Aspilcueta and other people like this, at the, at the University of Salamanca. Uh, but it wasn't ultimately, it was ultimately squelched and, of course, the Renaissance itself began in Italy, but was ultimately also squelched as well. But now what we're seeing, not just in Argentina, but in Uruguay, in Ecuador, a country I also visited recently, mm-hmm. um, and other places in South America, as well as in Italy, the aforementioned Italy, the Catholic part of the Western world seems to be where a lot of this ferment is taking place. Do you see that as being significant? Oh, absolutely. And I do believe, as a Christian— that uh, Christianity cannot be destroyed. Hmm. Uh, it, it cannot, uh, and, and that's part of the hope. And it's interesting, too, if you look specifically at Chile, Steve, Malay actually said that uh, the current pope, uh, Pope Francis, uh, uh, is a communist. Uh, he used, I mean, he said <laughs> it that, that explicitly. And uh, Argentina is a Catholic country, and, and the people voted for him. And, and, and so I think that shows an awareness on a part of the people that you may be the pope, but uh, you could uh, portray your your religion as a pope, 
uh, just like a president, for example, uh, let's say a president of the United States could betray his country. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, you, again, this is Argentina is the most spectacular example. But right. you, you mentioned Chile a moment ago, and of course, Chile at the moment is in the thrall of a Marxist leadership leader. But he won very narrowly over a guy who's quite similar to Millet and who's still out there. And all the indications are that there could be another change in, in Chile. Meanwhile, Brazil, uh, obviously Marxist Lula da Silva is back in power. He's trying his best to to trump the Bolsonaros, literally. Mm-hmm. But there's still very strong support in the Brazilian parliament. It's by no means guaranteed that Brazil is going to be permanently Marxist. Paraguay is, a, is probably the most anti-communist country in the world. Nobody ever pays any attention to Paraguay. Right. But it's the largest country that still refuses to recognize communist China. They've never had a left-wing leadership leader. Ecuador has gone from left-wing back to right-wing. Uruguay, likewise. It's definitely a movement afoot. Right. And, 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 it's, it's, yeah, it's, and of course, the movement is not to limited see. to, to uh, Argentina or Chile <laughs> or to Paraguay um, or to, uh, to Brazil, although uh, that country speaks por- Portuguese. But it's a, a movement that, that we can find throughout uh, South America, Central America, and uh, uh, in the United States as well. Uh, people obviously have a yearning for freedom. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I guess it's a little bit deflating as an American. We sort of always assume that if there's ever going to be a president elected who thinks like Ron Paul, which is really what, you know, is, you know it would be here, right? Yes. And instead, it's, it's Argentina <laughs> that turns out electing well, this guy is like a hybrid of Ron Paul and Donald Trump. So hopefully, and we'll be talking about this in, in, in a later segment, hopefully we can learn from Argentina's experience and maybe yes. replicate what's happened there here in next year's I elections. I think our days still to come. We'll see. Okay. Well, up next, Speaker of the House has begun releasing never-before-seen security footage showing what happened in the Capitol on January 6, 2021. I, I certainly would not want a constitutional convention. I mean, whoa. <laughs> Who knows what would come out of that? Just imagine if we have a constitutional convention, the number of people who will be unhappy and the number of people who say the results are not valid, and then they'll just ignore the entire constitution. What we need are just more people that would read the one we have. It isn't the constitution that's the problem. It is the people who ignore the constitution that usurp power and abuse the constitutional power that they ostensibly have. If you can't enforce an existing piece of paper, how are you going to enforce a piece of paper that has a little more writing to it? In other words, it's been amended. It's up to us to hold our elected officials accountable. What can you do to elect good representatives and senators in your state legislature who understand the Constitution and are willing to take a stand? Welcome back, everyone. So Speaker of the House Mike Johnson announced Friday that he is releasing almost all of the 44,000 hours of security camera footage showing what happened at the Capitol, what really happened on January 6, 2021. In a statement posted on X, aka Twitter, Johnson said, quote, this decision will provide millions of Americans, criminal defendants, public interest organizations, and the media an ability to see for themselves what happened that day, rather than having to rely upon the interpretation of a small group of government officials. Unquote. The videos are being processed prior to release to blur the faces of private citizens to avoid anyone being targeted with retaliation. The processed videos are being uploaded to a public website. The video uploads began last Friday. The website is expected to be updated continuously with the full release taking several months. 
An estimated 5% of the videos will not be publicly released because they may involve sensitive security information related to the building architecture. Donald Trump used his Truth Social platform to congratulate Mike Johnson for, quote, having the courage and fortitude to release all of the J6 tapes, which, he said, will explicitly reveal what really happened on January 6th, unquote. And Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene said that, quote, releasing the tapes is not enough, unquote. She's calling on Speaker Mike Johnson to create a January 6th select committee. And of course, the committee she envisions would be very different from the January 6th committee under Democrat leadership. In a post on X, Green said, quote, there needs to be investigations and accountability, all caps, for all of the lies, deceit and lives ruined. Criminal referrals must be written and prosecutions must happen under a Trump DOJ. I've said it all along. MAGA did not do this. Unquote. So, Gary, I mean, obviously there are roughly 40,000 total hours of footage. It's going to take a while to get it all properly vetted and faces blurred and released online and longer still, perhaps, for the army of interested people in the Internet to cull through everything. But we've already received some interesting footage, very suggestive footage. I would say from what I've seen so far, and it admittedly hasn't been very much, but from what I've seen so far, the big news is that nothing really happened. <laughs> I think that's a well, good that's way. Well, that's one of, thing. And the yes. other thing is the devil is in the details. Yes. We'll talk about those, in, in, in yeah. both of those. Uh, I, I think that's a way of putting it, Steve. And um, th there is one footage, uh, one example I like to point to specifically. In fact, maybe a couple examples. But one example is I saw footage showing Trump supporters uh, walking through a hallway in the Capitol. And my goodness, you look at this footage and... Uh, uh, it looks very tranquil, and uh, uh, the, the Trump supporters, you can tell they are by, by what they're wearing, by the signs they're carrying and so forth, and uh, uh, they're with policemen. Uh, policemen are walking with them. There are policemen on— People, Policemen uh, flanking them, looking yeah, on, uh, occasionally exchanging uh, pleasantries flank, with flanking them. Flanking them, mm -hmm. but uh, just a very tranquil scene, and uh, uh, obviously very, very different from the way this was portrayed by the national media. Right, right, sure, and I mean, I mean, I mean, we knew already knew a little bit of this because um, when Kevin McCarthy first became Speaker of the House, one of his first acts was to promise to release all the footage, and then he he subsequently released it, I believe, to Tucker Carlson, mm -hmm. who began showing airing clips on his show, and then was abruptly terminated by Fox News. So we never saw more than a few clips that were shown by you Tucker. Think there was a cause and effect there, I, I, yeah, <laughs> without a doubt, and also it has to do with the fact that Tucker has been mum about it ever since. So yes. so that's all you know being worked out behind the scenes, but clearly. The powers that be were mortally offended by what happened and put the clamps on Tucker, but not before he was able to release some clips that already showed what we suspected, namely that at worst, this was pre was predominantly a question of maybe criminal trespass, misdemeanor criminal trespass right. on a mild scale, people walking where they technically weren't supposed to be, which is sort of ironic because it's the Capitol building, the people's house, right. and, and all of that. So well, I'm not, not quite sure. There were, there were, of course, episodes of violence, but that is what the January 6th committee and its propaganda myrmidons in the mainstream media let America see. That and only that. Right. The isolated instance of windows being broken, of tussles with people mostly outside the Capitol. And, of course, the, the guy with the horns on his head walking in, looking outrageous and scary who's now out of prison and I guess is running for Congress. Running for but Congress. Anyway, you know, but, but, but everything but, uh, he did not engage to. in any uh, uh, in violence, though, even though he looked absolutely crazy. And 
Uh, and you look at the footage of him, it looks like he was giving, uh, being given a tour by uh, police officers. Well, right. So, I mean, for three years, more than three years, three and a half years, we've been subjected to one narrative. That has been the narrative of the triumphant and triumphalist Democrats who have deliberately censored everything else, of course, in the name of national security. Why else would they do that? The people don't have a right to see it. But the real reason, of course, is to occlude the truth that is now coming out right. in, a, in, a, in a rush. And I mean, frankly, it's, it's going to be like drinking from a fire hose. We're going to get, I would predict, tens of thousands of hours of people, large groups of people walking through the Capitol, large groups yep. of people <laughs> walking into rooms, looking around and taking selfies, large groups of people outside the Capitol, mostly peacefully demonstrating. Well, and I, I, and and I, I use that phrase unironically because in this case, it was a mostly peaceful yep. demonstration. Uh, I believe it, you're absolutely correct, Steve. But uh, uh, to be clear, obviously, there was some, some violence. And of course, the question that must be asked is this. The question that must be asked is, how much of that uh, violence was uh, instigated by agents provocateurs? Right, uh, and we're, and we're already crowd. getting some indications of People disguised of as uh, Trump supporters. And yes, we are, because I, I'd like to point to another clip that I saw uh, that uh, showed a, a person dressed as a Trump supporter, and uh, he's being led into uh, an area where he's away from the crowd, and uh, uh, he's in handcuffs, but his handcuffs are, are being removed. By two policemen. Uh, by two policemen. And then he gives uh, a fist bump uh, to uh, one of the officers. Right, right. So, I mean, it's, it, these videos don't have any sound, but it's pretty clear that this guy's being singled out for special treatment. And yes. the special treatment is, oh, sorry, buddy, we didn't mean to arrest you. You're one of us, or something like that. That's what's strongly right. implied by that particular clip, right. and I have no beyond, doubt we'll see many right. more like it. Do you think it. it's beyond reasonable doubt uh, uh, as to whether or not this guy was an HR provocateur? Well, I mean, I suppose, what, what other explanation could you have? Well, that he'd be I, I isolated he, and the handcuffs taken off and uh, given a, a fist bump to law enforcement? Well, let's, let's see. Maybe he, maybe he's the half brother of one of the two, or, you know, detaining officers or something like that. So it's a, you know, it's a, a sort of a nepotistic thing. I don't know. I don't know if it's beyond doubt, but mm-hmm. I just I would not be surprised if right. more such highly suggestive clips emerge and it will turn out that over the course right. of the next few weeks or months that that's the real thing that the Democrats have right. been trying to conceal. Good. The extent to, I mean we've already seen, you know, multiple times FBI director Christopher Ray has refused to confirm or deny whether there are FBI agents involved. We talked last week the story about uh, where he where he was shown images of supposedly ghost buses that brought in busloads yes. of a Jean provocateur, and he didn't know what the term meant, didn't know anything about that, and there was this tense exchange between well, him the term and uh, ghost, ghost buses, right? Buses. Sure, and so so of course he you know he he, he he's a he's a didn't do nothing, don't 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 know nothing, and he's yeah. going to persist in that, yeah. but one suspects. That as these videos undergo more and more and more careful scrutiny, a different story is going to emerge. Mm. And one that's going to really, I think, contradict the narrative right. that we've been spoon for force-fed, really, for three and a half years. Well, in terms, of the, in terms of the narrative that we're getting specifically from FBI Director Christopher Wray, does he remind you of the TV character, uh, Sergeant Schultz? I see nothing. I hear right. nothing. I know nothing. <laughs> well, that, that's that's standard operating procedure in Washington. Uh, right. th- that, that along with I have no recollection of that. Those are the two standard lines that enable right. you to evade responsibility, much less culpability. Right. So, so this is a, you know, against all expectation. This is still a top story more than three and a half years after the event. Of course, the Democrats are still insisting the whole thing was an insurrection led by terrorists. 
You want an insurrection? Look at what happened in Israel on October 7th. That's an insurrection, okay? When real terrorists with guns start killing people and all that sort of thing. What happened on January 6th may have been illegal, but it was no insurrection. Thanks, Gary. Thank you. Hey, folks, The New American just released our latest collector's edition, Bookazine. It's called Self-Reliance, Foundation of Freedom. Without individual responsibility and the ability to take care of ourselves without government help, we can't be free. This polished collector's edition includes articles on a number of topics, including the self-sufficiency of the founders, preparing for a worst-case scenario, firearm self-reliance, financial self-reliance, the importance of community, and many others. The authors are experts on their topics. We encourage you to get a copy. You can order copies at thenewamerican.com shop or by calling our office at 800-727-38783. Next up. Climate change is being blamed for just about everything, and Biden is now invoking wartime emergency powers to wage war against climate change. Self-reliance was a cornerstone used by our founders to build this great nation. It's important for us to stay independent of the woke structures in today's world. Get a copy of our latest collector's edition, Self-Reliance. Learn about the necessity of self-reliance for a free people and basic tips on how to get there. Never give up hope. Welcome back, everyone. No matter what is going wrong in your life, just blame climate change. At least that's what major media seem to want us to do. Consider some of these recent stories. Quote, the climate crisis is coming for your hoppy beer, unquote, reads an unhoppy headline from CNN. Little pun there. Hotter, drier conditions in major beer-producing European countries are causing earlier ripening, less yield, and a loss of acidity in hops, supposedly. CNN laments that, quote, beer brewing has been around since at least 3100 BC, unquote, but now it's threatened by global warming. Well, actually, 3100 BC was smack in the middle of the Minoan warm period when Earth's temperatures were some three degrees Celsius higher than they are now, and agriculture flourished in the known world. Well, here's another cataclysmic headline from The Guardian. Quote, South American monsoon heading towards tipping point, likely to cause Amazon dieback. Unquote. Yes, your addiction to eating meat and driving an SUV is signaling the end of the mighty Amazon jungle, which encompasses some 2,100,000 square miles of South America's Amazon basin. Never mind that the U.S. National Aeronautics and Space Administration reluctantly admitted seven years ago that, quote, a quarter to half of Earth's vegetated lands has shown significant greening over the last 35 years, largely due to rising levels of atmospheric carbon dioxide, unquote. Nevertheless, it seems that climate change is a national security risk. That's according to Columbia University's Earth Institute, which actually claims that, quote, Climate change is affecting practically everything on Earth, from natural systems to human endeavors, unquote. Well, that's technically right. Climate has always affected the planet and everything in it, and always will. But the article goes on to quote the National Intelligence Council, which found that, quote, climate change will increasingly exacerbate risks to U.S. national security interests as the physical impacts increase and geopolitical tensions mount about how to respond to the challenge, unquote. Now, speaking of national security, President Biden is now invoking wartime emergency powers to ram his radical environmentalist agenda down America's collective throat. On Friday, right after Congress conveniently left town for its week-long Thanksgiving break, the Biden administration announced that it was invoking authority from the Cold War-era Defense Production Act 
to award $169 million to various sites nationwide to increase electric heat pump manufacturing. The overall purpose is to further encourage domestic production of green energy technologies at the expense of traditional furnaces that run on gas or heating fuel. According to Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm, these electric heating pumps will, quote, help families and businesses save money with efficient heating and cooling technology, unquote, while allegedly creating jobs and, quote, creating healthier indoor spaces through homegrown clean energy technologies, unquote. Well, this last, of course, is the real motive. Biden administration officials have zero regard either for saving money or for spurring economic growth. Their ideological imperative is destroying American industry in the interest of staving off climate change. This, and not any feigned solicitude for the well-being of American workers, is the motive for Biden's war on fossil fuels, the automotive sector, and a wide range of household appliances, including furnaces and other heating devices. And now they're invoking wartime emergency powers to get their way. Gary, should we be surprised at this? Not at all. We should not be surprised. We should be surprised if the agenda were different because it is so clear that uh, environmental concerns such as climate change, that uh, other uh, things that are happening in the world, uh, uh, war, for example, uh, such as what's happening to the economy, uh, you name it, Steve. But uh, the conspirators for global control are simply using these issues, whether they be real, uh, whether they be manufactured, or whether they be uh, exaggerated, is rationales to bring about their new world order. Well, and I think it bears mentioning that, and, and, and many of them have gone on record saying this over the last few decades, that they view the global environmentalist issues and climate change in particular as being a, the, the potential entering wedge to finally create a world, the world government that they so right. covet. You know, in, in decades past, Mm, for example, the 1960s and 1950s, all the talk was, well, we need world government to prevent nuclear war. I mean, it was the focus was on issues of war and peace. You know, if you need, if you want to have world peace, you gotta, you gotta empower the UN system, and you've got to, to, to transform that into an eventual new world order. And you know, this state of affairs, I mean, that's still around. That 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 manner, the yep. way of thinking is still around. And it could come but back again as it, a bigger it issue. It certainly could. You know, it, but but in in the intervening, particularly since the the Rio summit that kicked off the current mm-hmm. series of global climate uh, treaties and protocols and all, all these rules, which is what the Biden administration is really beholden to. The real reason that they're doing this is that they view themselves as completely subordinate to and obligated to the terms of the Paris Climate Accord, right. which Trump removed us from briefly and Biden in one of his first acts back in office put us back into. And so, so they are, there's this active effort underway on the part of the Biden administration to deliver us into at least an environmental new world order. And the expectation is that this is something that has more, um, maybe more propaganda value because nobody wants to the Amazon forest to disappear. Uh, nobody wants the oceans to boil. Uh, nobody wants the planet to heat up and cook people alive. These are very visceral issues that, that uninformed people respond sure. to much more than, say, appeals for a unified world uh, currency, let's say, or something like this. So let's look at what people uh, do like, though. People do like private transportation. At least mm-hmm. I assume most people do. Most people like the idea of being able to hop into their private automobile and to go from one location to another or to, let's say, uh, 
take a jet plane from one location to another. Uh, people like refrigeration. Uh, people like uh, grocery stores uh, that are stocked with uh, all kinds of, of food item. So people like the products of the civilization in which we live, uh, products that have become available as a result of our free enterprise system, which is now so under attack. And, of course, the, the powers that be, the, the um, global elites, uh, they hate that because they want to be masters of the universe. And so they're using the environment and they're using other, um, other rationales uh, to, to camouflage the fact that they want to have absolute and total power. And they're trying to beguile people to give up their freedoms and also give up their affluence. Yeah, I mean, what worries me is that they're actually having a significant measure of success mm -hmm. invoking these environmental causes. I mean, the, the, the propaganda on behalf of, you know, the climate change agenda, it's just become suffocating. It's in all public schools now. Most school children believe it. Probably a greater part of adults would believe it. And the number of so-called climate deniers has been steadily shrinking in, the, in my opinion, in the face of this constant, full frontal uh, rhetorical assault in all of the major news media from all of the seats of political power. And, well, and people have, have reached the point where they say, well, so many scientists are saying it's so, and so many important, famous, powerful people, I guess it must be so. There's this, 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 this reluctant acquiescence that's taking place. And unfortunately, I mean, yeah, you're right. People are not going to like it when they have to give up their, 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 their automobiles, when they have to give up being warm in the winter and cool, comfortably cool in the summer and all the other conveniences that have been, that have been brought about by this kind of the, these technological advances that these people want to do away with. But if action isn't taken soon, it may be too late. People may be indignant well, uh, and, and, and they find that. That is absolutely you know, true, and that's why people need to become involved. But I right. wonder, Steve, if the number of climate deniers is seemingly shrinking uh, because the media is telling us that, because the media is not providing platforms to so-called climate deniers, and of course, uh, a better way of saying that would be climate realists, or uh, is it uh, because uh, that, that number really is shrinking? I, I, I don't think so. Uh, my sense is that more people is waking up, but that the media is propagandizing us to try to convince us is exactly the opposite. Yeah, well, I mean, either way, I, I think that the that the success of this movement over the last 30 years cannot be overstated nor underestimated and does attest abundantly to the power of the so-called big lie. Well, it does, you but know. we are on the side of truth, which is a much more powerful weapon than the big lie. Yes, well, we hope so. All right, well, thank you very much, Gary. Thank you, Steve. So coming up next, I'm going to have a we're going to talk a bit, a bit of a deep dive regarding uh, Javier Millet and the Argentine elections and what it might need mean with Argentina with author Joe Wolverton. In 1988, the John Birch Society produced a documentary so predictive, it's as though they had a time machine. Out of Control, Immigration, Invasion was produced and hosted by investigative reporter William F. Jasper and looks at the growing problem of unrestricted illegal immigration that, in 1988, already saw upwards of 10 to 20 million illegal aliens within the borders of the U.S. Unknown agents from around the world using the southern border as easy entry. Certainly some are innocent families escaping hardship, but also certainly some are criminals, potentially terrorists, is it not appropriate that there be some criteria for the entry of any sovereign nation? 
Why should the U.S. be different than Canada, Germany, Russia, Japan, or every other country on the planet? Out of control, immigration invasion. Watch this time capsule of prescient wisdom at thenewamerican.com slash out of control. Well, welcome back. Well, I have with me, not in the studio, but remotely, Joe Wolverton, who is a respected writer. He's also the John Birch Society's official constitutional law scholar. Like myself, he speaks Spanish. And like myself, he's been absolutely following with rapt attention the events that have unfolded in Argentina over the last few months. Really, this has been a story we've been following for a while here at The New American, the story of the rise of the improbable rise of, of Javier Millet. And, and so, 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 I mean, Joe, what are your first impressions? You've, I'm sure, watched some of the, uh, the videos from last night, the, the, the celebratory videos from Buenos Aires and the speeches given by Millet. What are your impressions of the man? I'm, I, you know, my first impression, honestly, was how sober he seemed to be compared to how he otherwise um, is known to behave. I think he's taking this very seriously, which to me uh, gave me great joy because I think that he has an opportunity that is almost revolutionary. I think he has an opportunity to demonstrate that Argentina once again can lead out in in uh, showing to the world that free market uh, economies can prosper even in the 21st century. That uh, when you look at the fact that Millet defeated a guy who was literally bribing workers in Argentina, I think it is illuminating for us to see that a man who remained consistent, because I'll be honest with you, I anticipated that as the election wore on and after he didn't win that first sort of uh, a super majority in that first round, or I guess it was 40 percent he had to win. And that when he didn't, I thought, well, perhaps he's going to compromise a little bit, soften his view. And he did no such thing, which which is just astounding, particularly when contrasted with how American politicians behave. They they move to the middle when at all challenged on any of their, let's say, as as the media would call it, more extreme views. So I was I was very pleased by his consistency, by his persistence, and and by his his positions. Yeah, well, I mean, he in his in his in his speech last night, he he repeated the thing that he's done over and over, both on you know talk shows, debate shows, obviously in his his, his stump speeches on the hustings, which is that he actually talks about. The intricacies of Austrian economics, why free, the free, free market economy works and why the libertarian non-aggression principle is the way to go. He mentioned all of these things last night, not maybe in exquisite detail. It wasn't quite professorial, but it was pretty close. And the, it was just it this raucous reception. And I was struck, not for the first time, at the contrast maybe between our Argentine culture and ours. You know, Argentines... Um, Argentina is in many ways very similar to the United States in terms of its geography, in terms of its history as a melting pot country, and indeed its its constitutional history. Originally, uh, it's a, the the constitution of of Alberti, which which uh, Millet is constantly referring to, was directly inspired by the American Constitution. Alberti himself was, although he lived in a time of the, the, the caudillos, the dictators that ruled Argentina right after independence, and was forced to flee the country a number of times to survive. But he was sort of like a James Madison type figure. So Argentina is, 
was blessed with, uh, with a nice brain trust at the founding of the country, the so-called Generation of 37, I believe they're called, uh, Echeverria and Alberti and all these others who, who were very much like the founding fathers of that country. And, and Millet invokes them repeatedly. And he does so in terms that says to his audience, I know you guys aren't dumb. I'm not going to talk to you like you're a bunch of dummies. And I'm not going to pose as being some, you know, simple-minded populist. Unfortunately, I, you know, in the United States, despite the unbelievable you know, intellectual pedigree of the American founders, there is this, this notion in American politics that if you act like you know too much, if you don't talk down to people, if you don't pose as an aw shucks man of the people, you're not going to get elected. And Trump is very much kind of in that vein, you know, and in his, you know, he sometimes his, his diction just makes me wince. But, but, uh, but Millet is a super, super sharp guy. He's, you know, right. got a pure wit, very quick on the uptake, and he knows what he's talking about. And he takes no pains to conceal it either, which is, I, I think, they're in, yeah, I think you hit on it there, Steve. I think the idea is, uh, the, the ideal, I should say, is Millet really does not only, talk the talk but he walks the walk he's a man who understands what he says i think his confidence and his ability to explain these free market principles to his people comes from the fact that he has so seeped in those principles himself from an early age he reports that he gave up soccer to study the free market at i think he says 17 or 18 years old he says and I think therein lies the difference, Steve. We are so accustomed in our country to politicians with talking points hmm. who, when pressed any further than that, that that threshold, they completely abandon it because they are not seeped in those principles. And I, I genuinely believe that we can take uh, Millet's victory and his path to victory as an example to ourselves if we look for those candidates who not only talk about free market economy uh, economics but who know free market economics who have taught free market economics and then because if you take someone who can explain to an 18 year old in college how the free market work how austrian economics works you can explain that to anyone and if you realize that um it's like uh, there's a, a book um Lawrence Reed, when he spoke down there with Mises, he reports in the introduction to his book of his trip down there giving lectures that it was standing room only at every event in Argentina. Hmm. And those were common people. And I think we can replicate that in the United States if we, one, seek for candidates who genuinely know the subject and can explain it cogently. And number two, we realize that our people are bright and they are desperate for economic and political change of a substantial sort, not just the change of the letter after a man's name, but for genuine change. And we can show them that this the free market is the tide that lifts all boats and do it, to be quite frank with you, Steve, to do it in a passionate way, the way Millet does. I think we have too many uh, politicians in this country whose attitudes are very much, I deserve this or I've purchased this uh, this uh, opportunity, whereas Malay seemed to always want to earn it. He always wanted to communicate with people, demonstrate that he was no, 
you know, billionaire with golden hotels, that he was a guy that knew this stuff and believed in it and was trained in it and was confident in the message. Let us have these people that can, to use the metaphor, go beyond the threshold and take us on a tour of the entire mansion of free market economics, as opposed to someone who can just spout a few talking points given to him by someone who graduated from Harvard last but, week. But do you think, but do you think, Joe, that the United States is going to require an Argentina-esque economic crisis before people want to argue. I mean, right now, the inflation in Argentina is running up to 300%. It's verging on hyperinflation yet again. And that's being invoked as the reason for Millet's victory. Right. I is that think, what it's going to take uh, here, do you think? Historically, that is, that's what it's taken in every uh, you know, society, free society. It's taken that emergency. Um, but we can take a step back and perhaps use history, our study of history, the way it was meant to, and prepare us for such things, warn us of such uh, calamities so that we can avoid them. We can model the good behavior and avoid the uh, the danger and the, um, the destruction that befell so many before us. And that requires something that I think Millet is good at. I think that Argentina is an example of since Alberti, since you mentioned him and the, the different uh, centers of, of study of economic, free economics that, that blossomed throughout Argentina from his time forward, including his uh, we got Lynch and, and Lynch Jr. who started the, the various organizations all over the country. I think if we set about ignoring the indoctrination camps that, that uh, masquerade right, we leave as it there, schools. Joe. I think we're, we're about Ooh. out of time here, but I really appreciate it. And we'll, uh, we'll you, talk sir. about this more. Well, thank you yes, everyone sir. for tuning into another episode of the New American Daily. Remember to visit thenewamerican.com for more truth behind the news. And if you haven't already, get a subscription to the print edition so you don't miss issues like the one we just talked about. Enjoy the rest of your day and join us tomorrow for another episode.